You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. My name is Stephen, and I'm here with a special guest because I saw him on Good Morning America, and that's why I called him to get him on the podcast. His name is Guy Bryant. Guy Bryant, how are you doing today? I'm good, sir. Very good. Well, I'm so glad you're here. You're in New York City. Guy, can you paint a picture of what you're looking at right now? I think you're in your office building, aren't you? Yes, I'm in my office, and I'm looking at my calendar, counting away the days before I go on vacation. <laughs> Come on, let's go. Where are you going? <laughs> I'm just going to Maryland. A friend is having a big party, so I'm going to Maryland for like a couple of days, and we're staying in a hotel, and it's a big, big party, so. Okay, I love it's it. It's going to be really nice. That's awesome. I hope you enjoy it. Um, Guy, for those of you who don't know Guy, or didn't see him with Michael Strahan hanging out on Good Morning America, uh, he is a community coordinator at New York City's Administration for Children's Services, and he has an amazing story. And before we get into that, though, I want just Guy to explain to us. Guy, will you tell us who is Guy Bryant? Can you paint a picture for our listeners? Guy Bryant is a 62-year-old man who has been working in the child welfare system for the past 42 years. More, yes. more than three decades. you got 42 years on him. Yes, 42 years, and 32 of those years have been with New York City Administration for Children's Services. And um, I am a foster parent, a mentor, a father, a whatever you want to identify with me. As long as it's a positive situation, <laughs> I'm, I can be all of those different things. That's awesome. When I saw your story, I knew I had to, to get you on the podcast they, they had you on to, to celebrate an accomplishment, which really I don't think most people would have this accomplishment in their bank, that you've fathered over 50 kids in the foster care system. I don't know if there's a list of top 10 foster dads, but I'm sure you're on it somewhere. <laughs> Apparently, I am. I haven't, like, I've never looked at it that way. I, actually, people ask me all the time, do you realize how special this is? And I'm like, no, I don't. It's something that has to be done, and somebody has to do it. So I look at it that way, like, if not me, then who? Mm. Um, it's not, it's something that I'm proud of now because the recognition has made me, you know, well, I guess it is special. Um, but I never thought it of, thought of it as being special prior to this because it was part of my everyday routine. Get up, go to work, come home, cook for the kids, talk with them, make sure they go to medical school, all of those things, prepare them for living on their own. So I did it at work and then I did it at home and I just never looked at it as anything, but you know, that's what I'm here for. It's amazing. I, I want to ask a quick, just random fun question. I, I wonder if with all these boys coming into your home, there there is a movie or something that you guys have have done consistently. So what what's what's the movie that you you guys have watched together more than anything uh, else? <laughs> it's, it's not about mentoring or anything else. Yes. It's, it's why for some reason now I can't even think of the name of it. And there are three of them, and it's a horror movie. And <laughs> They're, most of them are scared out of their wits when we see it, but it's about this this monster that comes around like every thirty years, and he um oh I can't think of the name of it. And like I I love this movie. And they they just humor me and watch it when it comes on. It usually comes on around Halloween. They play all three of them, and they're like you know oh it's time for us to watch his movie, 
and I make food and everything, and you know, we sit down and watch it. And I said, this is the part when they said, we know, we know, we know. Okay, we've seen this enough. So just rewatching horror movies, you're like, okay, I know what's coming. So yeah, I don't yeah, know what so the I'm appeal not, is to horror movies. I'm I'm just not into that. I'm I'm scared out of my life. So <laughs> they are too, most of them. And like, I have one that he he'll cover his face the whole time because he's. Like one out of the four kids I have now, because he's like, no, because I'm gonna have nightmares, and so he he won't watch it and stuff. But it's, I don't know, it's a fun time to me. I mean, those are that's one of the things we do, and fishing is the other. We go fishing. We stay in the city, but we go out on the boat, deep sea fishing, oh, wow. and they, yeah, they 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 get sick, but they love it. <laughs> Yeah, they, they love it. So, I mean, to catch the fish, and it is a, a spoken rule that whatever we catch, I bring home, we cook it that same day. Oh, come so on, that's awesome. So it doesn't get to go in, yeah, it doesn't get to go in the freezer. You know, before we leave in the morning, because we leave about 4 a.m., um, I make up a big salad and cut up some potatoes to fry and then have the fish cleaned on the boat. And I come home, wash them out, lemon juice, and season them up, and deep fry them, and they love it. That's amazing. They love it. Being in that space for 42 years, you said, the if not me, then who is not just a, well, today, <laughs> um, but like your lifetime has been given to this, this, this calling. And so can you, can you just kind of explain to us what influenced you down that career path and calling in life to father boys from difficult circumstances? Well, what started this all is um, when I was 20 years old in college, um, I had a friend and she was like, I said, I need a job. I need some extra money. Financial aid is just not helping. And she was like, oh, I have, I got a job, you know, at the Board of Education. I was like, really? She said, and they're looking for a male. So she brought me into the program and I met her director and the principal. And they, like, had me there for one day. And there was a kid who was really difficult. He had been in the foster care system, but he was in school and he was in a special special ed program which was for neuro neurologically impaired and emotionally handicapped youth and he he was very like aggressive and he didn't want anybody near him and he wore a hat all the time and I said why does he wear a hat he said well his his head is burnt up the top of his head was burnt so I was like wow so he's got a lot of reason to be angry we you know we talked and I got to know him and that day the principal said I'm gonna hire this guy because if he can reach him, imagine who else he can reach. And 42 years later, this kid is 52 now, and we're still friends. And um, he's, he, he actually does the same kind of work that I do. And he is a very functional, um, caring human being, and he attributes that to the relationship that me and him had in the beginning. Wow. Does he work in New York City now, or does he yes, work in he does. Okay, he works well. in New York City, and he works with... Um, severely, profoundly, um, developmentally disabled um, adults. And he dresses them and he he makes them, he takes them for rides and takes them shopping and he does all kinds of things with them. And he's 52 and he's been working with them 25 years. And I don't know what, well, I do know that I'm partially responsible. Um, I'm, I'm he, glad you know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm no, I know that. He's told me that, that, you know, and he's very good at what he does. And obviously he's been there 25 years. So I said, oh, you can carry the torch and stuff when, and push my wheelchair around when it's time. Mm. So. Oh, that's amazing. Guy from the little I know about your life, uh, I just feel like you have a heart to impart 
a generational blessing to the boys that you bring into your home. And, mm-hmm. and I, I really do think you have a gift of family. Just a, a, that's a blessing that's on your life to impart. I, I wonder how much that experience of family changes the future of, of these boys' lives. Can you share more about your own upbringing? And is there anything specific that you've received from your own family that you hope to impart in the boys you're investing in? I grew up in a household where my mother and her two sisters bought um, a house in Brooklyn and each family lived on a floor. We had three floors. So I had like seven um, cousins and my brother and we were all in the same house. And so it was never a dull moment. And if you didn't like what was to eat on the first floor, you could go to the second floor or the third floor. So we were able to eat. We had many choices of what dinner was. So whenever it was a dinner that was liver, I knew I was going to one of the other floors. And it's... um. I instill that food is love to me and, you know, to make them understand, you know, how much I care for them and love them. You know, I provide plenty of food and kids respond well to that because if you, a lot of them have been in situations where they weren't able to eat. So if you're able to feed me and you feed me the things that I enjoy, you love me. And a lot of my kids feel that way, you know, and they still come. If I have any leftovers, I'll put them in the freezer because somebody will come and pick them up and, I am um, instilling them that this is your family forever, not just because there's foster care involved. You know, I'm your family forever as long as you need me to be. And they, you know, they respond well to that. Also, um, some of my kids are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and they still come to me when there's a crisis. And I, I want it that way always because I have to help them, and they help me. They do things to help me, definitely. You know, they, they, they're grateful, and... I'm grateful that they're in my life. They definitely make my life complete. Um, and this all comes from a family who stayed united through thick and thin, and we helped everybody in the community. If somebody was struggling, we helped them. And that's just the way it is. You know, I've always been that way, and I'll continue to be that way and to pass it on. My kids that have aged out and gone out on their own and live in their own apartments, they will help the kids that live with me now either to get a job or to help them get their own place or just to help them if they're having an issue that they can't or feel like they rather talk to them about it, not me. So it's just it's something that gets passed on and you keep passing it on. And hopefully they'll pass it on to their children and their children's children. I, I love the connection between family and food and I know that there, I mean, food scarcity, that is a, that is a huge issue with uh, just kids from hard places, not knowing where they're going to get their next meal. And if you can provide an environment where they know where their next meal is coming and they know it's going to be good and, and you create an environment where they know they, I mean, they know they're going to eat that, that Mm -hmm. makes you feel at home. Like, which I, I imagine being in foster care, you don't naturally feel that way. I've heard stories of I mean, refrigerators being locked and you, you're not wanting, yeah, the kids that, that you're taking in, well, I don't know what their history is, so I got to be really protective. And I, Yeah, I'm not, you know, they, I, I, recently I had to stop, like, because they were cooking, like, somebody would get up at two in the morning and start cooking. I said, look, <laughs> we just, we can't do that, okay? You know, so let me give you guys some guidelines. There's no cooking after 10 o'clock at night. If you want to get a bowl of cereal or if you want to make a sandwich, that's fine. But they know that they can eat basically anything that's in the refrigerator, freezer, or cabinet. And if you see it in a plastic bag and it's tied up, that means it belongs to someone else in the house and don't touch it. 
So that's the policy for putting stuff in bags. If we put food in the refrigerator or freezer in a bag, it belongs to somebody, and that's their own personal thing. So we utilize that as well. But anything that I buy, they can eat. If I eat shrimp, they eat shrimp. If I'm eating peanut butter and jelly, that's what they're eating. So it's not like, you know, I don't separate that. And that's, to them, that's trust and love. They believe that I've entrusted in them my home, not just put them there because I'm collecting a check. I I love the also just the community aspect of, of what you're talking about is this, this discipleship of if I do this, they will do this. If I mm-hmm. am generous, they will be generous. If I'm That's receiving right. them into my home and making connections for them, they will do that for the kids that come after them. And I, I mean, there's fruit that comes from that generational aspect of everything that you give. They're able to give away as well. Mm-hmm. Can Can you talk about, I guess, the transition from being in in the work, doing community advocacy, to then deciding to take in your first kid? What was that experience like? The experience, what happened is I was working in a closed-down program at Administration for Children's Services, and we were, um, there were, there were units that housed large numbers of kids, and we were closing them down to make it more personal, and kids could move into home-style settings, where there was, like, parents and other kids, because and the institutional settings aren't really productive for growth. You know, meals are at this time and you have to go to bed at this time and there's no bending the rules. Everybody has to follow the same rules. And that's one thing I've learned is that every kid is different and there can't be one set of rules for everybody. But what happened, there was a kid who was 18 and he was pretty bright and he um, was in what was known as the Children's Center, which is a temporary institutional setting and we were trying to find a placement for him it was very difficult because he had some you know some things going on that made him um hard to place so they had placed him in a group home for hard to place youth and i knew this kid really didn't belong there we would talk we go out to the movies and i would do things with him and he one day asked me would i be his father and i said i don't know about that because at that point i lived alone and i had recently separated and i was like I don't know if I want to share my space with someone else. Although I did have a two-bedroom apartment, I wasn't really keen on that. So I said, let me give it some thought. Before I knew it, though, I had given it thought and I started taking the classes. And not long after that, he moved in. And it was a very good experience. I mean, you know, we had a lot of fun. And then he had a friend who had a similar situation to him that was very hard to place. And he said, would you take him? And I'm like, oh, here I go. So I took his friend, and then the friend had a brother who was not in foster care, who was living at home, but had difficulty at home, and then he moved in, and then I had to get another apartment because there was just no room for the three of them in that room. And within a year's time, I had nine kids living with me. It just progressed naturally, I guess, because I never thought anything of it. I just thought, this has to be done. Let me do it. And that's what happened, and I started doing it. It was a good progression. You know, I learned a lot from it, and the kids learned a lot from it. And I'm really happy that it turned out this way. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's two things I insist on, accountability and independence. If I can make you independent, if I can start you to work part-time somewhere at 16, then, you know, that's part of my job. If I can get you used to doing for yourself and being able to be responsible for yourself, part of my job is done. And I insist on that right away. If I see you slacking, I'm going to tell you, look, this is not the way to becoming successful. And you have to take care of yourself soon. Foster care is not forever. And 
you know, mentoring can last a long time, but foster care is not forever. Where somebody's going to send a check for you every month, and I said that check will be your own pocket. You will have to pay rent out of your own pocket every month. And I, I, I instill that in them from day one when they walk into my home. You've kind of shared about food, but how do you, how else do you build trust with the the kids that you're investing in? I am totally open and honest about things that I see going on. You know, and I always say to them, correct me if I'm wrong, but here's how I see and here's what I see going on. Mm. And a lot of times they will justify that by saying, but no, no, no. I'm saying, okay, then explain to me why so that I have clarity on it. I don't dismiss what they're doing and their feelings because they're miniature adults and they have feelings and I never dismiss what they're doing. So I'm definitely big on that where, you know, I have to understand you and understanding is the key to making you progress. Guy, can you share, um, yeah, just from your experience of, of helping the boys in your home process their pain and find healing, what does that look like? And, um, I mean, what, what advice would you have for mentors uh, of teens that are processing pain from their past? I always recommend that they see a therapist because there are things that I can't be objective. Once you're in my home and I love you and you're there, it's hard for me to become, it's, it's harder for me to become objective about situations. And I, I will be, but it's more difficult because I know this kid and I know his pain. So I always encourage them to seek therapy. I say it's gonna benefit you in life for your relationships and for who you are and for the pain that you're experiencing or that you might experience. You'll be able to handle it better if you've gone to therapy. And I tell, I share with them, and I've been in therapy. You know, it's important. It's important that you know yourself because without knowing yourself, you can't bring someone else into your life and have a successful situation. And, you know, I tell them we can talk about whatever you've done in therapy and whatever's gone on if you choose to. I give them an extra listening ear. You know, I'm there to listen and to help, but I give them an extra. I give them a, tell them to get as many people on their side as they can in life because you're going to need all of those people. That's good. That's good advice. We we have kids that move away from our, our program. Either mom finds cheaper rent somewhere else in the city or, or out of state. And when we have a mentor relationship, it can feel heartbreaking when when you're kind of cut off from relationship. And I know... I mean, relationships always are, are changing. Kids move out. They grow up. Um, and so I'm sure you've experienced that kind of loss. That- oh, my God. <laughs> I have the most perfect example of that. Yeah. I had a young man in my home, and he came. I had six, six um, young men in my home at that time. I had five, and then he came as the sixth one. And he was just there for, like, a weekend because he needed respite from the home that he was in because he had been very disruptive. But he was 11 years old, and I... I usually don't take 11-year-olds because they're too young and then it's, it's more difficult to guide them towards independence because they're still a kid and they should enjoy those years. So I said, okay, I'll take him for the weekend. He came for the weekend and my kids were like, oh, can we keep him? I said, he's not a puppy. He's a kid. I said, he has to go to school. He's going to need his clothes washed. I said, you guys do all that stuff yourself. He has to have, you know, people have to cook for him and... They're like, we'll do it, we'll do it. And they did. They actually did it to the point where he was spoiled rotten. He, they, they bought him, the ones that were working, bought him jeans and sneakers and things that he got everything. And this kid was so spoiled. And unfortunately, I loved this kid to death. I loved him so much. He was such a smart kid. So he wanted to stay with us, and he did. And the agency said, all right, you, you're not, you know, we'll let, you, we'll let him stay with you, you know. So my kids were glad, and everything worked out. 
okay, his mom got herself together and he went home right after Christmas um, 2018. So he went home in the beginning of 2019 and it was a total disaster. He started running away. He was, I left him with his keys and he was able to come back to me whenever he wanted to. So I would wake up in the morning and he would be in the extra bed or laying on the couch sleep. And I would let him know that he was there and it just didn't work out at all. So finally he ran away and he was gone for like three months. And at that point he was just 14, not even 14, he was 13. They found him and they put him back to me, but he was such a totally different person when he came back. He was disruptive and he was, you know, using marijuana and I couldn't really maintain him. And the kids would talk to him and talk to him. The older kids would talk to him, but he just couldn't get it right. He entered high school that year, but he didn't go. Last, in September, he didn't go at all. And he ran away again. And I was heartbroken. I literally, it made me sick. I was so stressed out, worrying about where he was. On the news, they had like missing children reports and everything. There were people looking, they had posters up for him. And my other kids were so, they were destroyed. They went looking for him in the streets and everything. You know, they have enough loss in their life. And I don't need the loss in this situation as well because they looked at him like a little brother. He was found and he's in a foster home now and he's doing a little better. But I, they, they would like, would you take him back? I said, I would. You know, I said he could come back if he wanted to. And then he said he just needed some time. You know, he, he would definitely think about coming back, but I still love this kid. I still have a good relationship as far as talking to him. And maybe one day, you know, he's actually 14 now, he'll be 15 this summer. And maybe one day he'll be ready to come back. Thanks for sharing that story, man. You've established a relationship that, I mean, you know that this kid feels loved around you, around the kids that are in your house. And and then in a, in a way, there's an opportunity for once he leaves, he despises other places. Yeah. The, the other and situation. he went back home, but yeah. he asked to not go back home. Yeah. He didn't want to go back home, but his mom had completed her classes and did everything that she was supposed to. And I have a similar situation now where I have a 16-year-old whose mother recently found an apartment and she wants him to come home and he's not, he said, I'm going to my lawyer, I'm not going home. Mm. He said, I'll go visit her on the weekends, but I'm not going to go home. And I had to ask him myself, I said, why? You know, he said, I don't know. He said, but I feel like everything's going to fall apart if I go home. And he's pretty bright. And he said, I just, I'm not going to keep on the same path if I go back home. And don't get me wrong, he gets in trouble, you know, quite a bit. I'm constantly saving him from getting in trouble, but he's a lot better than he was when I first got him. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've definitely grown attached to him and he knows it. And uh, I told him, I said, look, let me explain to you. I said, regardless of what, that's your mother. You can always have a relationship with me. You always have your keys. You'll always be allowed to come to my home. You'll always be welcome to go with us when we go away. I said, all of those things will stay in place, you know, but if you can be with family and you feel like you can make it work, then you should do that. But he's saying, I don't know if it's going to work. And that's why I'm not ready. He said, I'll go home, but not now. Mm. So I said, well, you'll have to talk to your lawyer about that. But I definitely feel like I know that parents go and they take classes and they try to do the right thing. And I think that um, the kids should have a say 
in whether they want to return or not, especially if the reason for them being in care is not because of something they did. You know, and as when you you become a parent, you take on the responsibility of bringing up another human being, and you should get a chance to redeem yourself when you make a mistake. But there has to be a balance. A lot of people, they get their kids out of foster care and they don't want any contact with the foster parent or the, anything that the foster parent is about, which sometimes sets their kid into a spiral that they just don't understand. You know, we've become a part of that child's life at this point, And people have to understand that, you know, we play a role. Mm-hmm. And I never try to, like, I never try to dominate or to, you know, go over what a parent is saying, but I always try to contribute in a positive way. And people also have to realize that once that child is back home, you can contribute without being judgmental. You know, you can also encourage that kid to make it work. Mm -hmm. The things that I instill in them, such as independence and understanding them, I try to instill it early because they may return back home and then, you know, all living with me has been wasted because I haven't instilled anything in them or given them any tools to exist. When you were sharing about your boys taking care of this 11 year old, I was just like, I was thinking about our, our mentoring program. We have an after school program and I would love just to see our older boys just support and care for the younger, the younger kids. And can, can you share, I don't know, just, how how that became the culture of your home and what what do you think was the secret sauce to like seeing seeing your boys just kind of rally around and and really become a, a loving community um it's the the thing each one teach one mm. so the skills that i've instilled in you i always tell them pass that on you may have a little brother a little cousin somebody on the outside pass that on and I encourage them to when they get older who would understand foster children more than you become a foster parent you know give back and I always tell them about giving back so so you have to instill that you have to instill that in the kids that air of responsibility that air of understanding that air of compassion for some people it doesn't come easy because they're so wrapped up in the things that have gone wrong in their life so you have to show them what's going right and you have to instill in them that they can make it better. Mm-hmm. I don't know what faith has looked like in in your home, and I'm sure, obviously, with work and with uh, being a part of the children's services, there's guidelines for foster parents and, and all that stuff. But what is what does that investment look like? And what are like? Have you seen any benefits of spiritual conversations with the boys you're mentoring? What does that look like for you? They're very general because I get kids of different faiths. Some of them are Catholic, Protestant, Muslim, and so they're very general. But I instill in all of them um, that everything is possible and probable because there's a God. And if they feel like they're in a good place, I'll say to them, look, you're in this good place because you have faith that things will get better someday. And they are. And... I'll remind them and sometimes they take it for granted and they don't realize it until you point it out to them. So it is important that every experience is a teaching experience. And I try to make every experience and every conversation a teaching conversation. That's good. From your decades of investment in the city, in the community, do you have any practical advice for mentors of kids from hard places? What, what would you like to see mentors do and do well? 
developed a long-term relationship where it lasts for decades. Um, not because once you become a mentor or a foster parent or a parent, parents don't say, "Okay, you're grown. You're not. My, you know, you're not my kid anymore. You can't come to me for advice." C- keep that going. Keep it going as long as you can, as long as the child wants to be involved. And if you're doing what you need to do, that child will always want to be involved. And they will always keep you in mind as a result of the things that I've done in life. I have nine grandchildren, and I'm involved on some kind of level with so many of the kids that I've, you know, I have one kid who, he was on Good Morning America. He has three kids in college. He, he has grandchildren, and he's in his 40s. And I'm like, it's so amazing to me that he, you know, he's at that point. I remember his mom being sick in the hospital when he was like 13, 14, and I took him to the hospital to see her, and she said, if something happens to me, please take my child. Fortunately, his mother is still alive and doing very well and looks great, and we're talking about 30 years ago. And she, um, her, her relationship with him is it's perfect right now. You know, she's a grandmother over and over, and she has so much to be proud of. To know that you've had a small part in that it's so rewarding. You know, you take it, you, you kind of after a while take it for granted, like, okay, that one was successful. Let me try to find somebody else that needs help. And that's how I look at it. That's amazing. I feel like some people would say, oh, that worked out. Okay, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but but you're saying, oh, that worked out. Let me try again. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. Yeah, oh, that's... that's definitely my motto. I'm not going to like, I like I said, I think that everybody's put on earth for a purpose and they have... And I I believe that my purpose is this. Guy, thank you so much for investing in our mentors and and sharing on the podcast. So thankful for your investment in New York City. And I know New York City is different because of you, man. So, um, yeah, God bless you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell our listeners if they want to get in touch with you? Is there a way for them to contact you? The best way to contact me is through Facebook, Guy Bryant, um, G-U-Y-B-R-Y-A-N-T. You can also contact me by email. My email is GuyB1019 at gmail.com. Um, you can contact me that way as well. Since all of this Good Morning America, and I've had people contact me through Facebook with their kids with problems, and I've helped at least a dozen to 20 people with their problems with kids. Um, I had a lady call me from Missouri. I gave her such a small bit of information, but she was so like enthused by it. And she looked up the information and she was like, it was the perfect answer to everything that was going on. I may be able to direct you somewhere to get assistance. If you're not in the state, feel free. I'm, I never turn anybody down. I'll, I'll send everyone to your Facebook page and you'll have to give everyone advice. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. It's not a problem. All right, man. Have a great day. All right. You as well. <laughs>